0: Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. President Trump visited a California section of the border with Mexico today. He said he'd either close the border or put a tariff on Mexican-manufactured cars if Mexico didn't stop migrants from coming into the U.S. But the migrants are unlikely to stop coming because of the problems in El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Let's take a moment and look at what's happening in Guatemala. 44 Nobel Prize laureates just signed a letter expressing concern over Guatemala's deteriorating democracy and human rights situation. With me to look at what's happening in Guatemala is Doug Castle, Notre Dame Presidential Fellow, Professor Emeritus of Law at Notre Dame Law School, and most importantly, for 10 or 15 years, our human rights commentator here on Worldview. It has been too long, Doug.
1: It certainly has, Jerome. Good to be back with you.
0: Good to be with you. And I wanted to start by kind of pulling the lens out a little bit on Guatemala. And there are all these stories in the news people might have seen about um, impunity for war crimes in Guatemala. And they seem somehow connected to corruption and the destabilization of democracy. But I imagine people can't uh, have a hard time putting two, to two, two and two together there. Um, can you do it for us?
1: I'm not sure I can do it, but I'll try. Uh, Guatemala is a uh, is essentially run as a kleptocracy uh, by um, interrelated sectors of military, retired military, current politicians, and organized crime figures. And they uh, hold most of the power and most of the money, a lot of which they steal uh, from the national budget. Uh, and from the people at large. Uh, For example, the current president, Jimmy Morales, was elected in 2015. He has been uh, formally accused by the UN investigating mission in Guatemala of having committed uh, all kinds of uh, violations of the election laws governing campaign finance during his election. And who was supplying the money to him? Uh, Retired military people who hoped to use him uh, to end the legal proceedings against these retired generals and colonels for having committed gross violations of human rights and massacres in the past. And sure enough, he's now trying to uh, deliver on what they thought they purchased illegally uh, by passing an amnesty law. So we, one could go on, but it's all, it's all interconnected corruption, um, authoritarianism, and violations of human rights in the past.
0: It sounds like these 44 Nobel laureates are concerned that um, democracy and human rights are not winning and that uh, the other guys are. Uh, is that what's going on? Because there's a presidential election that's going on now in <coughs> Guatemala, and one of the the people who is key in prosecuting um, the president's people has been – it looks like she's going to be denied a, a, a shot at running.
1: Well, that, that's right. Um, there are three women who are leading in the polls for the June 16 presidential election in Guatemala. Um, <clears throat> the one who's on top is Thelma Aldana, who was the head prosecutor for Guatemala during 2014 to 2018 and cooperated with the UN investigating mission in bringing charges against many powerful Guatemalans, including uh, the former president, Otto Pérez Molina, who's now in pre-trial detention, as well as the former vice president, as well as a number of uh, generals and former generals in the military. And uh, in, in response to her uh, frontal attacks on the corrupt and uh, ex-military uh, group that runs the country, they have now accused her of all kinds of uh, financial crimes and she denies it and says she can prove in court that none of them are true. But even assuming she does that, by the time she gets through with the legal proceedings and is eligible to continue running as a candidate, it will be shortly before the election and she'll have a good chance at that point of losing. Both of the other women candidates, um, Sandra Torres and Suri Rios, uh, are very closely allied with the current regime of President Morales and with the uh, elite that run the country. In fact, uh, Suri Rios is the daughter of Efraín Rios Montt, who uh, was convicted at one point of genocide for his actions when he was running the country back in the 80s, and then before he could be convicted again, uh, died of old age. Uh, and the other candidate, Sandra Torres, uh, has also uh, uh, protected President uh, Morales uh, from the formal accusations against him. And in return, his people have uh, continued her immunity from prostitution.
0: I'm talking with Doug Castle. He's Professor Emeritus of Law at Notre Dame Law School and has a great history with uh, Guatemala, where we're talking about the deteriorating human rights situation and democracy situation there. You know, uh, Doug, I want to talk about what this means for people. And uh, I was reading an article in the New Yorker about um, what's going on on the ground in Guatemala and how all this uh, mess filters down and um, the, the article was saying, you know, people get uh, nine billion dollars in in money from uh, people in the U.S. who are Guatemalans in the U.S. who send money back to Guatemala every year, and um, that, that kind of dwarfs all sorts of you know that's a huge percentage of their GDP. Um, people look at what's happening outside of Guatemala and just say, well, this looks a whole lot better than what's happening here. We can't. We can't get a leg up, and they they can.
1: Well, you're right that remissions are there. The money that gets sent back from expatriates in the United States are probably the largest single source of uh, of GDP of, of the economy in Guatemala. I think the same is true in El Salvador and some other countries. Uh, but what happens in the United States matters a great deal for what happens in Guatemala. Uh, for example, uh, when President Morales, uh, with over the last six months, finally uh, declared the chief UN investigator in the country, Ivan Velazquez from Colombia, persona non grata and kicked him out of the country and also announced that uh, the UN investigating mission called ccg would also be terminated when its current uh, date expires. Uh, The United States, which previously had been a strong supporter of the UN mission there, which was doing a great job in terms of bringing about the prosecutions of over 100 uh, people who were corrupt and involved in human rights violations. Under the current U.S. administration, we essentially sat on our hands and didn't say anything. And that was viewed widely as payback for the fact that President Morales of Guatemala was one of the very few countries in the world besides the United States to move the Guatemalan embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, He knew how to uh, do uh, President Trump a favor and in return, President Trump uh, is perceived widely in the region as uh, letting Morales off the hook. And that means that people on the ground um, are Not going. Those who suffered in the Civil War and were victims of massacres are now in danger of not seeing justice. Those who want to vote for an honest candidate, um, assuming that Thelma Aldana is an honest candidate, um, will probably not get a chance to do that, or if they do, it won't make much difference because she will have been kept out of the campaign for most of the campaign period. So what we do here and what they do there is unfortunately interconnected as well
0: and it has been like you say for years i was catching up on guatemala and in the news and i saw that there was a huge demonstration outside of uh, the congress by people who were displaced by a dam in the 1980s in guatemala and they th- they were going to be compensated for their displacement but they, they never got the money and um they're still out there today protesting and these things uh, that's going kind to. Of- indicative of the, the what's going on there.
1: If you're a citizen of Guatemala looking for public service, you're going to have um, a, at least two problems. One is uh, because there's so much tax evasion in the country and so little tax enforcement, the government in many years does not have enough revenue to cover its budget, yep. and its budget is already bare bones uh, because they raise so little money. And then secondly, of what money they do raise... Uh, and that gets assigned to particular ministries or programs, a lot of it gets stolen and put into the private bank accounts of of various members of the elite. So getting public service from your government in Guatemala is
0: uh, a tall order. Doug Castle is Notre Dame Presidential Fellow and Professor Emeritus of Law at Notre Dame University. Good to talk with you again and chat about what's happening in Guatemala.
1: As always, Gerald.
0: This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Film contributor Milo Stalik of Facets Chicago interviews the world's great filmmakers on Worldview. And this week, he's got a doozy. He speaks with a Chinese filmmaker, Jia Zhangke. His films have created an unofficial history of China. His new film is Ash is the Purest White. The film dives into the Chinese crime underworld to talk about China's changing culture.
2: So, Zhao... Even though you are a filmmaker whose most recent films, including your new film, Ashes of the Purest White, open in world class film festivals, many of your films continue to be set in a very specific place in China, Fenyang, Shanxi. And when you're talking about the characters, all of the characters in your films, including in Ashes, the Purest White, are on some kind of a journey facing transition in search of something, in search of someone or in search of justice. Is that how you see a way of getting at what is happening on a macro scale in terms of the changing China?
3: 呃，对，在我的电影中，人物的旅行会比较多啊，那就是呃。So I think that
4: the sense of traveling around, drifting around is very much the current reality in China, and if you look at how imbalanced or unbalanced in terms of not only the haves and the have-nots, but also the difference and the gap between the rural area, the rural China and urban China. I do think that that kind of dynamic really propels a lot of younger generations to move away from their hometown, from the rural area, into the urban area to seek better life, to seek better possibilities. So I I really want to utilize this almost like the role film genre. To capture this constant moving and migrations and floating populations in China right now, uh, even though that these are individual characters from very unique space, from unique environment, but there's something very very. Common and universal about their life experience, and then it's almost as that I'm using them as a way to open up this particular scroll of uh, the realistic painting of what's going on uh, right now in current China, the state of the nation, depiction of what is going on between the the urban and the rural, between the have and the have not.
2: So your newest film, Ashes, the Purest White, seems to be the most genre-driven film that you've made because it has a lot of elements. It's set in an underworld. It features many characters. There are themes about loyalty, uh, righteousness, codes of loyalty. And at the same time, one of its chief protagonists is a woman. And to me, that suggested that you really see women as... The future of China.
3: Uh, 对我来说, Uh, So
4: indeed, this is a very, very genre-driven film, but uh, for me, it is actually using this prototype of the underworld gangster genre as a starting point, because it has always been a very dominated society, dominated um, power within this particular genre. So I want to start with that, and then find a Way to disrupt it,
3: to destroy that,
4: to break it in such a way that I can then uh, deconstruct it Uh, The way I want it. So I use this as a vehicle to talk about how the characters, the values that they carry with them in terms of the code of conduct that they used to believe in, this type of loyalty, this type of human relationship that they used to cherish in the uh, traditional, conventional, male dominated underworld or mobster gangster genre. Now, in the current society, you will see the destruction of it. You will see the disappearance of this type of conventional value, the conventional personal and interpersonal connections, and the conventional uh, way of interpreting and maintaining that kind of loyalty, that kind of human interpersonal relationship. So I think that for me, it is to take a genre and trying to somehow disrupted uh, the same way I want to convey the feeling that a lot of things that we used to cherish and that we used to had uh, we used to have they no longer exist or they are disappearing in the current society in China. So because of that I subconsciously when I'm writing and develop, uh, writing a script and developing these characters I started to somehow make the male protagonist and how he evolved in such a way that you uh, started as such a strong characters to a weak one at the end, uh, whereas for the female protagonist, she might seemingly started as a weaker personality or a character. She turns out to be at the end the strongest one of all adhering to her own values adhering to uh, her uh, dignity and the way she respects herself and then really uh, believing still loyalty and also that kind of human relationships that uh, is part of the conventional code of conduct within underworld so I do think that instead of saying that this is a film to imply or as an allegory of that China's future needs to rely on uh, the female populations or the other sex, I do think that it is hopefully a wake-up call uh, for to challenge our male audience of the generation to really rethink uh, who they are, where they want to go, where they want to be in the future. So it's more about giving them a chance to uh, reflect on um, what they happen and what they are uh, the they are right now and also where they can go from here you
3: you无法说是不是未来中国的未来要依靠女性而是它首先可能是需要男性社会去具有一种反思啊就是
2: you're listening to Worldview on Milo Stirlik, speaking with filmmaker Jia uh, Zhangke, whose newest film is called Ash is the Purest White. This seems to be a critical moment for independent Chinese cinema, and you are a filmmaker who has worked on both sides of it, as an independent and as someone who makes films within the official structure. You are also a filmmaker who is concerned... <laughs> About the role that cinema can play in a broader sense in China with the film festival that you started in Shanxi, with this independent art distribution alliance. How do you see the way forward for independent films in China?
3: so, even though that uh, my past three
4: films, uh, I would say that I will enjoy the major release in China, but I still very much see myself as an independent filmmaker, uh, the same filmmaker made. Shao Wu or pickpocket. Pocket uh, as my first film and continuing that particular tradition to make the film I want to make uncompromising, even though that along the way, uh, in order for me to work within the system to actually have that kind of... Um, theatrical release in China, I need to overcome a lot of challenges and a lot of hurdles. But at the same time, the method, and the spirit that make my films are still very much independent. So I do think that uh, the challenges for a lot of the younger uh, independent filmmakers is to really persist and insist and also adhere to this particular vision of independent filmmaking and also this value of independent filmmaking and without uh, losing themselves in terms of the market, in terms of a lot of enticement, a lot of distractions uh, because the market uh, might take them off the track that that they once uh, were in. So I do think that uh, it is an important aspect for a lot of filmmakers whether or not the system itself, it is inside or outside, Uh, you need to ask yourself that same and questions, why are you making the film? And as long as you still maintain that independent spirit, I do think that you can still uh, see yourself and uh, call yourself independent filmmakers, and hopefully that will create a very uh, viable and sustainable uh, environment for the younger independent filmmakers to come.
3: 能够真正坚持自我, the
2: film is called Ashes the Purest White. Its director is Zhao Zhangke. Uh, it opens today. Amila Stelik for WBZ's Worldview.
0: This is Worldview on WVEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. It's time for Weekend Passport, where we let you know how to have an international good time on the weekend. Our global citizen friend Nari Safavi is here to give you some recommendations on how to spend your time this weekend. Nice to see you, Nari. Good day, Jerome. It's great to be here again. What's up your sleeve this week, Nari? Well, we're doing a tour de force of Asian cultural
5: experiences. You can have an Asian American cultural experiences, but I first want to mention that the CSO, as you know, has been having some difficulties and has been performing around the city. And there's a special performance going on on Monday, April fifteenth, at the Apostolic Church of God at sixty three twenty South Dorchester, near the Hyde Park area. If you want to go and support the musicians, they're doing these free concerts around the. City, that would be a good place to catch CSO if you've been missing them.
0: And they're in a labor negotiation, and they're doing some free concerts to keep, keep the faith.
5: Yeah, to keep the faith going and stay visible to the public and keep the public support. So, uh, you know, if you are missing CSO and you want to support them, make the trip down to South Dorchester and the Apostolic Church of God. It's a magnificent facility and just go catch your favorite CSO.
0: Let's go to Asia, where we've we got a few things here. Yeah,
5: a lot going on. Uh, There is a pop-up Asian uh, cinema festival going on at the AMC River East. All kinds of interesting films going on over there this weekend. And then there is also the Cambodian Rock Band by Lauren Lee. It's performing at the Victory Gardens. There is this anniversary of the genocide that happened in Cambodia. And uh, there is a Cambodian cultural organization that that's based in Chicago. They're partnering with the Victory Gardens Theatre, and they're having the performance of the Cambodian rock band by Lauren Lee.
0: Now, this sounds like a really interesting theatre piece. It is part comedy, part mystery, part rock concert... And has to do with the Cambodian genocide. So it's really like uh, making some moves here. And it's gotten great reviews. It's played around the country. I was reading a review in the Los Angeles Times. It was terrific. Some people uh, might have thought it was
5: distasteful to, to, have to do a comic piece about Cambodian genocide. But the reviews are coming in on this and that this is a really a magnificent work of art. Go catch it if you can.
0: Cambodian Rock Band by Lauren Lee is Wednesday, April 10th at the Victory Gardens Theater, a one night only extravaganza done in partnership with the National Cambodian Heritage Museum and Killing Fields Memorial here in Chicago, which if um, you haven't been there, it is a great little museum and you can duck in there and... Uh, get a full picture of what was going on there at the Cambodian genocide. And it's, it was the first place to market, too. So Absolutely. that's a great thing.
5: And the main thing uh, that we're doing about Asia is the Asian Showcase Festival going on at the Gene Siskel Film Center. And there is a really interesting film over there called the Origin Story. And it's playing uh, Saturday night, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. And this is something that I could relate to as an immigrant and – concerned about origins and ideas about where we come from and all of that can be a source of meaning in our lives. And we have an interesting filmmaker with us who made the film called The Origin Story.
0: Kulap Vilaysak is here. She's a child of Lao refugees. Origin Story is her story. Nice to meet you, Kulap.
6: Pleasure to meet you both. I, I must comment uh, I really love the sound of both of your voices. I find soothing. Wow. <laughs> um, At attractive least is,
0: that, is that okay to say? Is there... That is terrific. Is that, this is the is first terrific. time anyone has ever, <laughs> ever said.
5: Usually, uh, women who only hear my sound, they find me attractive. But <laughs> 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 and you thought you were the comic here, huh?
0: <laughs> Kulap, you really went deep in this film, deep and personal. Tell us a little about the origin story and why you decided to kind of inspect your past on film.
6: Well, I found out that my father wasn't... The dad that I grew up with wasn't a real dad when I was 14. And it was a tough, tough way to find out. Um, My parents have a really tumultuous relationship, and they fight a lot. And in this particular fight... I made the mistake of of standing up for my dad. And when I did that, my mom said, why are you defending him? He's not your real dad. And that shook my little heart, my entire body. And soon after, I found out that my biological father wasn't interested in being a part of my life, which was hard because I didn't know that he existed, nor Wanted him to because I really connected to that dad I grew up with. I thought it looked like him. We got along. Uh, I got along better with my dad. And so I buried it, and I put it away. I put it away for almost um, 20 years, cut to me being 33. And even though you compartmentalize this, or I did, this part of my life, it always came up in different ways um, because I didn't ask questions. I still kind of put a narrative together about what happened, even within my narrative, there's large gaps, but I started to connect my identity, or I had connected my identity to it, and it was holding me back. And at 33, a number of things happened. One being that I, I had my first pregnancy and my first miscarriage, I felt like I motherhood was coming to me and my relationship with my mom was so strained and I just felt like this. Finally, I needed to nest this way and I needed to have those answers.
5: Cool up, uh obviously your life has had a lot of trauma and it's very understandable uh, what you have gone through. And you've done a magnificent job of trying to, through building a narrative and sharing it with us, uh, probably try to come to terms with it yourself. Would you say that that's partially what your motivation was in uh, conducting this yeah. exercise? Yeah.
6: To truly put form to it, to be able to have a little bit of an objective perspective it's almost impossible to do that but um to put on a role especially in the editing portion or the post-production portion is to kind of get past at least a portion of my feelings to put together a narrative Mm -hmm. and when i found out when i was 14 that really was my origin story because that was the point where i stopped I had distrust for my parents, the adults around me and then I think maybe the most detrimental was myself and having a camera there, a couple DSLRs, the cold stare of it. They are objective and I wanted a record.
5: Yeah. And also they say that some some people, I don't know if this is uh, true in this case or not, uh, but uh, they say some of the most brilliant comics are the ones who have had very, very difficult lives. Do you find all these difficulties that you have experienced uh, being a source of what your humor is and uh, and the comical uh, art that you're engaged in?
6: I mean, look, I, I love the idea of me being brilliant, certainly. Um, <laughs> certainly. And we can just bathe in that for a Just a second. No.
3: (laughs) Uh, uh,
6: I think you are correct. My upbringing had a lot of trauma in it, but there were bright spots. And one of the love languages in my family was humor. Um, My mom is incredibly funny. So is my dad. Um, My mom, you especially see in the film. And one of the first movies that we saw together as a family in the theater was Coming to America. And I think we saw it twice. And that really is the bedrock to my humor. Um, I grew up in a restaurant, uh, Diamond Thai, in Minneapolis. It was my mom's restaurant. And in the back of the house, I would be deveining shrimp and prepping veggies while watching sitcoms, American sitcoms, from Isle of Luzi reruns to the TGIF lineup, SNL, because I'd have to stay up late. Uh, so that is the foundation, but also there's a lot of tension and sometimes sometimes humor would be a release
0: valve. Well, it's a great opportunity for people to get to know you and get to know something about the refugee experience. And um, I hope people can check out your movie. You're going to be there this weekend on Saturday night? I am.
6: Yes, I'm about to pack... In a few
0: minutes. <laughs> it <must be> great. <laughs> Kulap Vilaisak is a child of Lao refugees, and in her debut documentary, Origin Story, chronicles a road trip into a complicated past. It is part of the 24th Asian American Film Festival that's going on at the Gene Siskel Film Center. And there's lots of other great films. that runs through the 17th, and there's a bunch of them.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. There's some really good ones. But Vietnamese manicurists called Nailed and all all kinds of really interesting stuff going on.
0: So check out the uh, Asian American Showcase Festival at the Gene Siskel Film Center through April 17th. Nari Safavi, thanks for joining me for another fine edition of Weekend Passport. It was a privilege to be here. Thanks, Kulap.
6: Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs)